Okay, everyone, welcome to our March 12th um, Planning Commission meeting. And to start things off, if you would follow me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, we'll go ahead and do our roll call. Here. 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 Okay, we'll have our report from Planning Director EJ. We only have uh, one thing to talk about uh, today, and it's our upcoming Planning Commission hearings. And two I want to talk about. The next one is scheduled for March 26th, and we are going to Tahoe finally. Uh, there's three things right now on the agenda uh, Faulkner Garage. Uh, which was, uh, you know, the use permit and variance for the underground garage. That's going to come back. The parties have, have apparently uh, come to some form of agreement, and so uh, we'll be able to hear that at that Tahoe meeting. The other thing, uh, there's going to be two updates. One is going to be from De Department of Public Works on snow removal uh, and some of the issues they're facing up there with properties. And then also uh, we're going to have uh, Alex Fish give an update on the uh, village at Squaw Valley specific plan. So March 26, two weeks from today, we're going to do the same thing we did last time. We're going to take the van. Anybody, uh, so what I'll do, I'll have Kathy coordinate with you over the next week to uh, see who's interested in uh, going up in the van or other modes of transportation, and then, uh, and then you know, we'll go from there. So uh, two weeks after that, a month from now, uh, the April 9th Planning Commission meeting is going to be down here in Auburn. And the uh, projects that are on tap for that right now are the ponds. That's the quarry pond, uh, next to the quarry ponds down in Granite Bay where they're proposing the uh, event center and uh, these commercial working lofts is what they're calling them. Morgan Knowles is another project that is out in West Placer. Uh, on uh, the corner of PFE Road and Willegra Road. Uh, there's a, that's a 61-lot subdivision proposed down there. And then the last one, Orchard at Penryn, which you may recall uh, was approved by the commission and also the board. That was a 150-unit multifamily residential unit. They actually uh, came back in, uh, revised their project to reflect a single-family residential unit project. Uh, the number of residential units was reduced from 150 down to 54. Um, so that project will be coming back on April 9th as well. So things are pretty busy. Uh, I think you met one of our newest planners today, our newest hires who works up in Tahoe, Heather Beckman. So we're happy to have her on board as well to help us with uh, the onslaught of uh, development projects that are being submitted. So we're thankful for that. That's all I have. Any questions from you? Otherwise, we can get started. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, at this time, if there's anyone in the public that would like to comment on any anything that, except anything that's before us today, now's your opportunity. And seeing none, I guess we will go to our item Number one, Squaw Valley Siberia chairlift replacement, conditional use permit and mitigated negative declaration. OK. 
Okay, Steve. Good morning, Mr. Chairman, members of the commission. Um, Steve Yelma from the uh, Tahoe office. Uh, the project to bring before you today is a conditional use permit and a uh, related mitigated negative declaration for the Squaw Valley Siberia chairlift replacement. Uh, just uh, in order to orient you uh, where this project is located it is within the uh, Squaw Valley um, Ski Resort uh, just west of uh, 89 Squaw Valley Road in the Olympic Valley <coughs> area. Um, what this project is is a replacement of the existing uh, Siberia lift and it's currently a four-person chair. Uh, the new proposal would uh, bring this up to a six-person um, uh, high-speed chair lift. Um, the uh, chair uh, replacement will be uh, within the same um, existing alignment. Just in order to uh, orient you to where the uh, different chairlifts are, obviously the uh, proposed chairlift is in this alignment here. Um, here is Gold Coast, and uh, here is Headwall. Um, so uh, what the project will do is, like I said, it goes in the same uh, lift alignment. Fourteen of the existing uh, towers will be removed. Up to nine of the um, uh, existing foundations will be reutilized for the, the new um, towers. Uh, those that are uh, to remain, the uh, foundations will remain in place, and this helps to reduce the amount of grading associated with the uh, the project. <clears throat> the upper and lower terminals will um, stay and you know will be the new technology, new um, structures, but it'll be uh, located in the same um, exact same location as the existing towers. So here's some slides from this past summer and here's the lower terminal um, as well. Um, this project is located within the uh, forest recreation um, zone district. All ski runs and ski lifts um, within the zoning classification require a conditional use permit. Um, even though this is a replacement, um, this still requires a conditional use permit, so that's the reason for the application before you. The first step along this process was to conduct the analysis of the uh, potential environmental impacts of this project. Um, that um, analysis uh, identified um, the following uh, areas where mitigation uh, was required. Uh, air quality, primarily uh, relative to the construction activities of um, replacing the chairlift. Biological resources, um, there are some trees that will be uh, removed in order to uh, accommodate the additional width of the, the new chairlift. Um, geology and soils, of course there's going to be some uh, grading for the, uh, the new towers that will be uh, added uh, in the different location than the, the existing and um, hydrology and water quality. Of course that has to do with um, the grading activity as well. <coughs> um, the um, mitigated negative declaration was um, um, circulated for review and comment. Uh, we did receive some comments from uh, Lahontan Regional Water Quality Control Board. This had to do with um, the potential for impacts to the wetlands area. Um, the um, and staff has subsequently had conversations with um, uh, the water board and uh, they no longer have any concerns with that. But one of the towers is located close to the wetlands area, but it's not uh, um, within the, the wetlands itself. So um, this project also did go to the Squaw Valley uh, Municipal Advisory Council on February 5th. 
the majority of those the comments uh, from the public had to do with just the overall operation of the, the chairlift and summertime activities. You know, what would happen with the, uh, whether the um, old foundations for the uh, towers that weren't going to be reutilized, whether they were going to be removed or left in place. Um, not terribly uh, involved discussion. Uh, at the end of that, the uh, vote was uh, a unanimous vote, six to zero, to uh, approve the project as proposed. So with all that, um, staff uh, has determined that the findings uh, for approval can be made and our recommendation to your commission is that you adopt the mitigated negative declaration and approve the conditional use permit subject to the findings and recommended conditions of approval. And with all that, I'd be happy to answer any questions if you have any. Just, just one question. Did, yeah. did you say um, several of those foundations aren't going to be used, right? You said, are they going to be left? They will be left in place. Um, it's actually uh, less of a, an impact um, than the, you know, it would take to uh, remove the, the foundations in place and then refill the, the soil. So uh, they'll be ground down to grade level, but um, be left in place otherwise. Okay. Any other questions? I see this wetland area, at least on the map, it looks like it's right below the top of the uh, Correct. lift. Yeah. Is that part of the, uh, well, there's a little pond over there too. Is that part of the uh, snow making facility or is that just a natural wetland? No, I think that's just a natural wetland. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Mike, I see there. Do you have any comments or? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, just briefly, the. Uh, the Siberia chair, the original chair, was installed in the mid-'80s. And uh, at the time, it was very cutting-edge technology. And this detachable chair technology allows the chairlift um, that the skiers and riders sit in to come off of the haul rope, um, which is able to move at uh, a higher speed. And um, it's moved through the terminal with a conveyance mechanism. And that allows um, the guests to load the chair while it's moving slowly. And then the chair rejoins um, the haul rope, which can um, thereby travel at a higher speed. So that was a very exciting new technology in 85 when this chair went in. Um, we think of this chair a bit like a classic car. Um, it's very well maintained. It's safe. Um, but it is substantially less reliable than a new car. Um, and it's also very hard to get parts for. And it doesn't perform to the same level um, that the new technology does. So we're looking forward to replacing it. Um, unlike a classic car, old chairlifts don't have uh, an intrinsic aesthetic appeal. Um, so um, function is really what our skiers are interested in. And this replacement would be with a detachable uh, six-person chair, very similar to the big blue chair that we put in um, a couple of seasons ago. And it will run uh, and operate much better in the winds uh, that we experience on the Sierra Crest. And uh, with that, I'd answer any questions that you might have. I'm just curious, it doesn't necessarily impact what we're trying to make as far as a decision, but it appeared that I read that it said the capacity is actually going to be less with the new chair than the, than the old. As, what's the thinking behind that? Yeah, that's true. So um, the theoretical capacity of the current chairlift with uh, four passengers is 3,000 people per hour. And the way that that theoretical capacity is, is reached is by having the carriers or the chairs and the hangers and the grips um, spaced more closely together on the line. Um, this new six-passenger chair, although each chair will have a higher capacity, the carriers will be farther apart. Um, in practice, 
we, we never approached that 3,000 uh, person per hour theoretical limit with Siberia because uh, indeed the chairs are close together and the folks can't get up to the load board um, so that they're able to consistently um, put four people on the chair. So sometimes we have empty chairs uh, go up or oftentimes we'll have chairs go up with just two or three riders. Um, the idea behind the six passenger chair with the greater spacing is that we um, expect a higher practical and, and realistic uh, operating capacity. Um, so while theoretically lower, it'll probably be more efficient and more effective in getting folks up the hill than the current, uh, the current chairlift. Okay, it looks like you've answered all the questions. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, is there anybody from the public that would like to comment on this item? Seeing none, I'll close it off and bring it back to the commission for discussion or motion. Mr. Chairman, barring any discussion, I would be happy to make a motion that the Planning Commission approve the conditional use permit to allow the replacement of existing Siberia lift within the same lift alignment, the removal of 14 towers, and removal and replacement of the upper and lower terminals in the <coughs> same locations, subject to the CEQA findings and uh, conditions of approval. Have a second. Have a second. Motion second. Commissioner Moss, could you clarify, did you make a, also a determination on the mitigated neck deck? Um, absolutely. <laughs> so, so he <laughs> that we adopt the negative declaration. Also. I yeah, guess this is the second stage. That. Okay, roll call. Hey, just a minute. I have okay. one editorial comment. Okay. Okay. It's a minor one, very minor. On uh, condition number seven, it uh, says truck routes are to be located across existing logging roads. And. Uh, you know, I kind of perceived that was on, but uh, maybe there's some way they're going to go, going to go across the roads. It's, huh? Apologies. Uh, Sarah Gilmore, Engineering Surveying. Yes, the intent is to be not across, but on, upon the same path to reduce impacts. Yeah, so, so the intent is that they use existing logging roads? Yes. And correct. not create new roads? Correct. So they're not going across them, they're going on them. Whenever possible. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With that said, <laughs> do our roll call. Yes. 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 Motion carries. And if anybody should uh, want to appeal this, the appeal fee is $546, and you have 10 calendar days to file the appeal. Okay, thank you. Okay, we'll go ahead to our 1010 item. Um, Tarantino Residence, um, Calpine Meadows Estates, Subdivision Unit Number 9. Subdivision modification and categorical exemption. Okay, Heather. Good morning. I'm Heather Beckman from the Tahoe office, and I'm pleased to be here for you, before you today. So, as you mentioned, I'll be presenting the Tarantino residence map modification. The property is located at 1118 Snowcrest Road in Alpine Meadows. And it is um, zoned RSPD equals three, or residential plan development with a 
um, density of three dwelling units per acre. It's located within the Alpine Meadows Estate subdivision, unit number nine, and it, that subdivision has a mapped 20-foot front setback. And so it's modification to that setback that is before you today for review. The property has an existing single-family dwelling, which you can see in the site plan, and an uncovered uh, parking deck. The property is also surrounded by um, uh, existing single-family dwellings as well. The proposed project is a detached two-car garage and a connecting um, covered walkway from the garage to the residence. And the, the parking deck would, is proposed to remain. There are several constraints to this property, um, the first of which is that it is a steep downsloping lot, so it's a 27% slope. The existing house that you can see is located relatively close to the front property line. It's um, outside of the setback, but relatively close to the front property line. So therefore, there's not much space to accommodate a garage in front of the house. Um, and then lastly, you'll see that the existing residence is actually at an angled orientation to the front property line. So as a result, there's very limited actual space where new development can, be, can occur. Um, so the proposed project for the detached garage, uh, the applicant and staff actually worked through several different alternatives. And what you have before you was determined to be the minimum departure to meet the project goals for the garage. Most specifically, this design um, does minimize the driveway frontage at the right-of-way, so it's meeting engineering and surveying division requirements for that, as well as maintaining a 20-foot um, separation from the edge of pavement to the front of the, um, the face of the garage structure. Um, so with that in mind, that's the proposal that's before you. I did research a number of permits in the surrounding area and saw that there were, have been a number of previous approvals for um, residential or garage encroachments into the front setback. So were this to be approved, it would not be granting a special privilege to this property. Um, so with all that in mind, that is the garage proposal that's before you. Um, specifically, the applicant is seeking uh, a reduction um, the setback to six and a half feet to the structure and three and a half feet to eaves. And here are the two of the elevations. Oh, and I did forget to mention that there is going to be a storage space below the proposed garage. Here's an aerial photograph that shows you the location. Um, the number eight in the address there is about the approximate location of the garage. But what's also important to note here is that you'll see, um, in particular in this house here, um, that there is development that's close to the front property line, much like is being proposed for this project. Here is, um, are a couple photos of the existing house and showing where the proposed garage would go. And just as a reminder, the parking deck would remain. So with that, um, there are uh, staff recommends that you make the following two uh, approvals. First, to determine that the project is categorically exempt from CEQA per a class three finding. And secondly, to approve the subdivision modification to allow for a matched front setback of six and a half feet to the structure and three and a half feet to the eaves as measured from the front property line. And I'm happy to answer any questions you may have and the applicant is here as well if you have questions. Any, any questions? Seeing none. Thank you, Heather. Thank would, you. Would the applicant like to comment on this? Um, thank you. I actually have no comment.
question. The the house is located in. Oh, okay, if you could just state your okay, great. name for us. Okay. Oh, if you could just state your name that you oh, don't Julie have. Julie Waterworth, Whittles Engineering, I'm representing Dawn and Darcy Tarantino. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone else in the public that would like to comment on this? Seeing none, I'll bring it back to the commission for um, discussion or motion. Mr. Chairman, did you get it right this time? Take another stab at this. I would like to make a motion that we determine the project to be categorically exempt pursuant to CEQA sections as listed and that we approve the subdivision modification to allow for a mapped front setback of six and one-half feet to the structure. Three and one-half feet to the eaves as measured from the front property line for the construction of a new detached garage with storage below and connecting driveway subject to the findings and conditions of approval. Second. I have a motion to second. We'll go ahead and do roll call. Uh, Mr. Sevison's absent, Mr. Gray absent, Mr. Moss? Yes. Mr. Johnson? Yes. Mr. Nader? Yes. Mr. Ricucci? Yes. Mr. Denial? Yes. Okay, motion carries. If anybody appeal this, they have 10 calendar days to file, and the fee is $546. Okay. Thank you. We'll go on to our final item today Rio Bravo wood waste chip and grind conditional use permit and categorical categorical exemption Steve good morning mr. chair members of the Commission uh, Alex fish with the planning Alex. services division um, it's a rare day we're on the third item and and we're basically on time so uh, happy to see that um, the project before you today is a uh, conditional use permit uh, for the existing Rio Bravo power plant located in the Sunset Industrial Area to implement a wood waste chip and grind use. And that uh, use would, would be used to uh, um, help to improve the, um, the, the reliability of their fuel sourcing for their project. So in brief, I'm a go through and orient you all as to the uh, project location and its particulars. This here is the project site. It's located at 3100 Thunder Valley Court, uh, just about a half mile south of the casino here. Uh, Athens Avenue to the north. We have Industrial Boulevard to the uh, east, as well as the Highway 65 corridor. Uh, the Placer Parkway project eventually will come through this area. Uh, and uh, to the south of the site is the uh, historic Formica manufacturing facility, Ace Hardware Distribution, and then the pa Pasquetti Industrial Park to the west. <clears throat> uh, zooming in on the site, just want to uh, give you all a little um, overview of what the site operations entail. This is a 49.5 acre project site. The power plant facility itself is here. It pulls access off of Thunder Valley Court. You go through a scale area here where uh, trucks that are coming in to tip their loads will uh, take weight. They come in, circulate in this area. This is a tipping area with a conveyor that feeds out to the fueling yard. And what you have out here are the fuel cells that are being uh, prepared 
that would supply the power, or rather the, uh, the raw materials that power the uh, power plant. Uh, you have a number of 35-foot uh, tall windscreens that are located on site here, uh, adjacent to the tipping area here as well as here. Uh, there's one on the north, north property boundary. This is a little bit of an older aerial, uh, so you can't see all of them, but there is also one here on this north property boundary and down the westerly property boundary here, and those help to uh, uh, keep the fugitive dust emissions down as well as to screen the facilities. I should mention that um, we're, we're coming back to you all with this item today. We had continued it from the April 24, uh, 2014 commission hearing. And uh, the reason for that continuance was that uh, we had realized that the applicant had not placed the notification posters on the property at that time. The reason it's taken so long to get back to you all uh, is that in the intervening period, we had a number of uh, issues to discuss, principally was uh, Placer Parkway and its potential uh, to be affected by the project uh, as well as uh, uh, the project to affect it. And so I will describe that in a little bit more detail later on in the report. By way of background, um, this power plant uh, processes, uh, it incinerates about 280,000 tons of boiler fuel uh, annually, and that is uh, in the form of four inch or smaller chips. And, uh, and that is uh, used to uh, uh, meet a continuous output of about 24.4 megawatts of power. And that power is purchased by Pacific Gas and Electric through a 30 year power purchase agreement uh, dating back to 1989. This is a, a site plan showing kind of the overall operations as they exist now and how this proposed project would affect them. Uh, as noted earlier, the project would implement a mobile wood grinder at the power plant in order to uh, uh, process a portion of the fuels on site. Uh, in total, that would be about 80,000 tons of the annual boiler fuel that would be displaced by this proposal. And uh, the, the, the proposal would be to receive the, the fuel in unprocessed form of woody biomass, C&D waste, um, come into the site as is done now weigh on the scales, come into the circulation area to turn around, come back, tip the load of the unprocessed material out here at this pad, and the grinder would be located here. It's a mobile grinder I'll show you in the next slide. And basically the only um, permanent facilities required for this, this piece of equipment is a, a, a service line power drop to the site to provide the 400 amp service to run it. Uh, this is a view of the tub grinder. Um, it is a trailer-mounted unit, and uh, some of the particulars of this, this tub rotates around uh, like this, and there, the grinding equipment is at the bottom of it. Um, conveyor chute discharges uh, the material as it goes up. Um, some of the, uh, the operational characteristics of the grinder, um, as far as noise and dust, it's fairly efficient and low impact in those regards because the effect of placing all of this fuel into the tub on top of the grinder is that the dust generating activities are down below where the grinding is occurring. There's also water suppression nozzles that will be placed above the tub and on the conveyor chute to help keep the dust down. And it also helps to mitigate the noise of the, of the machine because that, that unit is being covered up, the operational part, by the actual material that's sitting on top of it. 
This grinder would operate uh, approximately uh, two days a week, two 12-hour days, 50 weeks per year. Uh, operational hours are proposed between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., and the grinder would be shut down two weeks per year for regularly scheduled maintenance, during which a diesel grinder would be used in its place. Um, the project would be required to receive a new source review authority to construct permit from the Air District, uh, and that permit would require the operator to log the amount of material processed in the tub grinder each calendar quarter and to record the daily, quarter, daily and quarterly hours of operation of the grinder. Those records would be made available to the district upon inspection request and would also be submitted to the district annually. I'm going to briefly go through and describe some of the overall uh, analyses that staff performed uh, for this, this project just to make sure that we, we hit the high points. Uh, as far as uh, fuel sourcing, the power plant currently receives approximately 50 uh, tractor-trailer deliveries of processed material each day. Um, under this proposal, about a third of that would instead arrive as unprocessed material. Uh, the applicant estimates that because of the unconsolidated nature of the material um, that it would increase their daily truck trips by approximately two, so approximately 52 truck trips per day. As I said a, a moment ago, the, uh, the, the, the tub grinder um, is uh, surprisingly does not have a significant amount of noise generation associated with it. We received a noise study with the application and um, what that noise study determined is that this, this tub grinder in its location approximately 250 feet south of the uh, north property boundary um, would result in about a 65 decibel noise level at the nearest property boundary. Um, as stated in the report, uh, industrial properties are insensitive to noise. This is an industrial property. However, it is surrounded by industrial park property, and that has a 75 decibel uh, limit at the receiving property boundary. So the tub grinder would operate well below um, that noise threshold. Uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, the uh, project will continue its current dust control measures to uh, maintain the opacity limit at the property boundary, including regular watering uh, of the yard area and fuel piles at various stages of processing. I mentioned the dust suppression nozzles both over the tub and the conveyor output. Um, this project was uh, reviewed not only by the Planning Services Division Air Quality staff, but also by the uh, Placer County Air Pollution Control District staff. And the district determined that the daily operations, uh, daily operational emissions of this unit would be well under uh, their threshold of 10 pounds per day for PM10, which is particulate dust emissions, and it would produce approximately 3.6 pounds per day per 12-hour operational day. So we're well beneath the thre threshold there. Um, as I mentioned, there will be an authority to construct permit from the district, but no additional permitting beyond that. Uh, with regard to Placer Parkway, As I mentioned, that is an east-west regional transportation corridor that will go from State Route 65 uh, over here to the east and continue out, I believe, approximately eight miles to uh, the Sutter County line and then connect up to uh, Interstate 99. Um, Department of Public Works staff, planning staff, and the applicant um, traded uh, a number of notes back and forth on this facility. We wanted to ensure 
um, that the, the project would not have the potential to interfere with either the construction or operation of the Placer Parkway corridor. The analysis of, of that actual uh, physical construction project is going forward right now. And, and vice versa, uh, the applicant wanted assurances that the corridor uh, construction and operation was not going to impact its proposal to implement this use. And um, ultimately, DPW staff and the applicant did agree uh, that neither affects the other. Uh, in 2012, the Board of Supervisors um, uh, did uh, approve a CFD to expand fire services in the Sunset Industrial Area. This project would be required uh, conditionally to annex into the CFD prior to operation. There is a condition of approval in your packets for that. And lastly, um, wanted to touch on odor impacts of this uh, facility. As noted in the staff report, this is an, an existing operation. Um, it's been in continuous operation since 1989. It is a biomass power plant and it does receive uh, raw biomass materials uh, for use in, in fueling its uh, uh, boilers. Um, and so there are some odors associated with it and, and the most uh, common odors associated with this facility is, is that of, of, of wood, of, uh, you know, and, and grasses and other types of, of woody biomass and vegetative matter. Uh, and under certain weather and atmospheric conditions, it can have um, some unpleasant uh, smells. Um, I, I personally have been out in the Sunset Industrial Area quite a bit over the course of my career. And uh, I can't say for certain if I've ever experienced unpleasant smells from this facility. There are a number of odor generators in this area, and, and certainly um, I have smelled them from time to time. I was out uh, around this facility a couple of weeks ago, several days after the, the most recent rainstorm when we had a, a warmer day when you would expect wood decomposition to be a little bit higher. Spent some time driving around, and, and predominantly what I got was what I've gotten in the past, and that is... Um, it's a smell of wood. Um, but that said, the, the applicant is proposing to implement a new use, and uh, the Planning Services Division, the DRC, think it would be appropriate to uh, have the applicant implement an odor impact minimization plan. That is a, a basically a standard um, procedural document of good housekeeping practices that, that document good site management activities, how you manage your fuel supply, load tipping and other operations so that you don't uh, unnecessarily generate uh, unpleasant odors. And then of course it has uh, procedures that would document um, complaints and responses to complaints and, and uh, staff's analysis of those complaints and it would also require uh, submission to the planning director annually uh, for his review during the uh, uh, course of operation of this project. Lastly, I'll note that you do have several letters attached to your report from uh, and those are uh, from the Waste Management Authority, Thunder Valley Casino, and uh, also a letter from the United Auburn Indian Community. Uh, and in staff's opinion, uh, all of the issues raised in those letters has been addressed in the project analysis and conditions of approval uh, that, uh, that we've placed before the commission. And so based on this, uh, staff recommends, uh, the DRC recommends that the Planning Commission determine that the project is categorically exempt from CEQA and to approve the conditional use permit subject to the findings and staff's report. And real quickly, uh, I apologize. I do have just a couple of, of photographs here um, showing the site. This first photograph, this is on Thunder Valley Court, looking directly south at the facility at about the midpoint between the casino and the facility. 
Um, similarly, this is looking back towards the casino. You can see the hotel here um, from the approximate driveway location of, uh, of Rio Bravo. This is a close-up view of what you would see as you're driving down into the facility. This is the windscreen. These trees screen the project area and the fuel yard. And this is the, uh, the, the, the location where the grinder would be located. And as you can see, there are windscreens on either side of it. With that, uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions that the commission has. I do want to mention that Travis Finn, uh, the applicant, is also here as well. Okay. Um, Alex, if I'm not mistaken on this, we approved, um, and I, I couldn't tell you back when, but they were using coke, I think, along with yep. the raw materials and stuff, and upped it. Now, with this grinder on site, is that going to lower the use of coke down? I mean, has it finally gotten to a point where it's they're getting enough of the waste material in to... I'm, I may be incorrect in this, and I'll have to defer to Travis for the specifics. I believe it was a test pilot program, and it was something that uh, the district and Rio Bravo had partnered with and brought forward to the county, and, and it had been approved. And I am not certain if that is still ongoing. My understanding is I believe it is... Is it? That's correct. Okay. 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 I, have a, I have one, just one quick question. Is the, is, um, is the odor monitoring at, at Rio Bravo now with this new conditional permit here the same as the, as the MRF? What the MRF has is an odor impact uh, minimization plan. That's this, this manual of good housekeeping practices that I described. And they have also, uh, both of these on a voluntary basis, and I, I should note that they are also a composting facility. Right. This is not a composting facility. Um, but uh, they also have uh, what's called Ototech Continuous Odor Monitoring System. Uh, I don't know the, the particulars of that, and I believe a representative from the Waste Management Authority is here okay. um, and, and can potentially answer some of those questions. Okay, I, I just wanted to maybe uh, clarify the uh, tub grinder itself um, <clears throat> probably doesn't produce a whole lot of odor, but it's really the uh, boilers and the burning of stuff that creates the odors that most people notice. Is that correct? To my understanding, it's actually the fuel piles. The what? Um, it, to my understanding, that it's, it's actually the fuel piles, the fuel the fuel cells that are being built out of the biomass before it's burned that is the main source of odor. Okay. The, uh, Travis, 1,700 degrees? Is that the? Yeah, the boiler operates at about 1,600 degrees. And so it's, it's, it's emissions. Uh, a lot of what you see that comes out of there is water vapor because of that. The, but uh, I, I'm not an expert on that. I don't want to you know, purport to, to know all about that. That might be a a better condition for the applicant to answer. But my understanding is the main source of odors is actually the fuel piles. It's the, the, the fuel material that has yet to be burned. Okay, so basically by putting the, the odor management plan or the process in place is really kind of a change to the uh, original condition use permit. And would it, trying to connect the, the uh, tub grinder with, you know, it's, it, it's a good plan, but uh, I'm just trying to connect the tub grinder with the uh, odor management part of the process. And, and, and a lot of the basis of that is, you know, when this uh, facility was originally constructed in 1989, it was really 
out on its own. It was far, far away from development, and it was in a location where it really didn't have, um, you know, the potential to, to impact uh, sensitive land uses with odors. Um, that obviously has changed quite a bit in recent years, particularly with the growth in Rockland and Lincoln and Roseville. And, and at this point, um, because there are so many odor generators in the area, we felt that it was appropriate to uh, bring this facility incrementally up to a standard that would um, provide some, some proactive responsiveness on its part um, to document its, its own odor generation issues and then report those to us. Um, it is a, a request so to speak, so. Okay, so it's part of the bigger picture of the operation and yes. not tied with the... Uh, it, is, it is being tied to this use, but it is part of the, the, the bigger picture of the overall operation of the facility. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Mr. Chairman. Um, Alex, how come this is two days a week only? Uh, the, uh, the, the limitation is based upon the amount of material that they would process and how much time it would take to process that material. Um, the other part of it is, frankly, that um, if it was a more intensive use, let's say that they wanted to produce all of the material on site, they wanted to receive all of it in unprocessed wood waste, um, there, there is certainly the potential as this, this use would increase that they could potentially trip over a CEQA threshold and that the county would have to analyze this. At this small scale, it's fairly easy to check off the list and say this, this does not trip over any of these so thresholds. At a bigger scale, five days a week, unlimited processing, it potentially would. Was this all the applicant asked for up front or did this get whittled down to this? This was their, their proposal. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you. Okay, would the applicant like to address the commission? Thank you, commission. Thank you, Alex, for that presentation. Um, I'm Travis Finn. I'm the compliance manager at Rio Bravo Rockland. Um, we employ 28 people, like Alex said, but um, there's also an additional 100 or more people that get employed through our process, truck drivers, um, other people in the community. Um, We've been in service for 25 years, like Alex said, um, providing a beneficial commodity to the community um, as electricity. Um, and I just want to state that we agree with the conditions in the permit application. If there's any more questions, I'm available. Okay, thank you. Is there anyone from the public that would like to address this issue? Good morning, Mr. Chair, uh, Commissioners. My name is Eric Otto. I'm the Program Manager with the Western Placer Waste Management Authority. Uh, we would like to uh, get on record today that uh, we have some remaining concerns with the conditions. The authority submitted a letter back in uh, May of last year and then a, a follow-up letter uh, March uh, a couple days ago. Um, and essentially our concerns are, um, are that the, the odors aren't fully being considered yet, uh, fully addressed. So. We appreciate staff's efforts here to put some additional conditions in regarding odors and really do appreciate Alex's and Travis's um, work on these conditions, but we still have some outstanding concerns. And really what it is is with the Odor Impact Minimization Plan, or OIMP, uh, that is being recommended in the conditions, as Alex mentioned, that is a procedural document. 
It documents good housekeeping practices. It says how the operator should operate to keep odors in check. What it doesn't really do, though, is provide a mechanism for measurement, monitoring, and ultimately mitigation of those odors. Uh, the authority is, as Alex mentioned, proactively put a system in place several years ago to measure and monitor odors from our facility. And we did that um, for the purpose of, of being able to document what happens from our facility and develop very strategic methods for reducing odors from our facility. At the same time, we put a system in place where members of the community could report to us online in a very convenient manner when they experienced odors in the area. And then we could do follow-up investigations. What we found over those three years since we've had this system in place and after investigating over 750 odor notifications is that the odors that folks have um, experienced in the region aren't always a result directly of the authority's operation. They're often a combination of the other odor sources in the area, Rio Bravo being one of them, but also understanding that there's wastewater treatment plants in the area, there's um, other chip and grind operations, and there's obviously the landfill. We'll, we'll never say that we don't generate and produce odors. We certainly do, but we're working very hard to mitigate them. So what we're asking for is that the OIMP be um, modified, the condition for the OIMP be modified, such that there is a specification that a qualified individual will develop and review that OIMP before it's approved. And then additionally, that that OIMP will require some form of monitoring and measuring program uh, that uses an industry standard for odor measurement, which is considered an odor unit. It's a, um, an internationally recognized standard unit for measuring odors. Um, as you probably know, odors are very subjective. What one individual can smell, another may not. What someone may find objectionable, someone may find pleasant. Um, this system is, is intended to establish some form of statistical baseline that this is when people would start to um, sense odors. Uh, I'm not suggesting that Rio Bravo necessarily put in the same system that the authority did. I will admit it was an expensive system, but I think there's other practices that the applicant can put in place that will um, be able, allow them to collect consistent data as to what the authority is doing. That'll provide us a much better picture of what the odors in the area are and what people are experiencing. And really this is not uh, a push by the authority to force other businesses to achieve the same level of parity with our operation, not at all. In fact, what we think this is, is it's really critical to the viability of the industrial and agricultural uses in the area, in and around the Sunset Industrial Area, to be able to keep going into the future, considering the development that's encroaching around us. If we're going to be viable, we have to take responsibility for those odors and other impacts from our operations. And this is a strong step forward in achieving that goal. Um, our concern with the hours of operation is really, again, tied to odors. And it, it's hard to understand that at first, but what we're looking for is a requirement or a limitation on when the applicant can process these materials to the two days a week so that if the authority receives odor notifications from the public and we believe that it could be due partly to Rio Bravo's operation, we can then discern by understanding those days of operations if it was a reflection of that shipping and grinding operation or something else. So that's what we're looking for, is just to be able to have a better connection of data there. Um, I mentioned, you know, the authority has done a lot of things proactively and, and 
you know, it's, it's in our best interest. It's not completely altruistic, but, you know, we have to be a viable operation in the future. And we've had a lot of issues with the public, a very emotional about uh, they've bought this wonderful home and they can't enjoy it because of the odors in the area. And we've worked very hard to have an open dialogue with these folks. And if I may, I'd like to read an email that I received this morning from uh, a resident who lives immediately south of our facility. And uh, to give some kind of perspective to this, my uh, board of directors will be meeting tonight to discuss odors that we experienced in January and February. We experienced a, a number of odors, many that we believe were from other facilities. But we've had a very ongoing dialogue with the public and have been engaging them and invited them to speak at this meeting. And so um, an individual wrote said, thanks, you guys rock, and I appreciate how on top of this you always are. Thank you to all you for your hard work, especially on this sensitive issue. Smell has improved dramatically. So I think that that really, that kind of comment, we couldn't have expected that to happen if we hadn't taken the measures of defining what the real problem is with our operation, being able to identify where are the odors being generated, when are they being generated, and what are you know, targeted measures for reducing those odors. And so we think it's in, in all the industry's best interest to employ a, a similar methodology so that they can be viable into the future. So with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions, but otherwise, thank you very much for allowing me to speak. I, I do have one question, because I know you're, you're similar in that you take, take in, you know, wood waste and greens and stuff, but also you do mulching on site, and you, you know, have other kinds of garbage that are different than vegetative waste. Now, when you talk about people complaining, do you break it down into that if I have 10 calls, that eight calls are mulching or the wet, damp paper, other kinds of waste, or the greens, do you, you know, do you have that information? I mean, when somebody comes in and complains, <clears throat> we do. So on our online notification system, we request that the, the person filling out that application tell us when, you know, date and time that they experienced the odor, the duration, the intensity, but also a descriptor of the odor, whether it's gassy or manure farm animal smells or acrid, um, earthy, musty, a number of descriptors. Those are uh, always very subjective. You know, what one person believes they smell, you know, they have a tough time maybe describing that. But we do try and discern the distinction in the odors that they, they smelled. We'll then compare that against our odor monitoring system, which has a graphical representation. It shows an odor dispersion, air dispersion plume, graphically overlaid on Google Earth technology, of um, the plume from our operation. And we can discern from that what was the source. Um, did that individual likely smell something from our operation or maybe an off-site operation? If it was our operation, what portion? So we monitor our composting operations, our landfill gas operations, our landfilling operations, and our material recovery facility operations all separately so that we can best discern from that information what was the source of the odor. That allows us to go back and target that specific element and say, all right, in these conditions, this was the source of that odor. Now what can we do to mitigate that odor in an educated manner? Okay, but... My question was, what's the highest percentage? I mean, is it the mulching operation is, if, if you trace it back to your facility and operations, 
which one of your three or four smell makers, you know, causes the most problem? Okay, I'm sorry, I misunderstood your question. Uh, I would say the most common um, descriptors that the public use are acrid and trash. Um, surprisingly, uh, we have received comments that someone smells trash when they are upwind of us. Um, anecdotally, we put in a system a couple years ago to test um, adding a neutralizer to spray near the landfill to try and neutralize odors, and we put a cherry scent in there as a tracer so we could understand what the concentrations were. We asked the public through our system, let us know if you smell cherry. The only time they smelled cherry was when we weren't operating the system. So my point there is that what someone believes they smell and how they describe it may not always be truly indicative of the odor, but with that said, most of the, the descriptors that we receive are either considered acrid or trash. How many monitoring, how many monitoring points you have in your whole system on your site? You we have four dedicated um, uh, what are called electronic noses, and these are real-time sensors that are collecting data continuously. Then we also um, apply uh, a fixed source. So we'll say uh, an area of the landfill, for example, has a constant emission of gas and we'll, we'll model that into the system as well. Um, so the, the larger surface areas, even with small emissions, can cause a larger impact in terms of overall air emissions. So with those fixed sources, I think we have upwards of 15 to 20 on site. Those are mathematically modeled. We'll, we'll measure the, um, the flux or the, the amount of emissions from a source and we'll put that into the model. Whereas the, the e-noses are actually taking records um, continuously throughout the day and adding that information into the model. Thank you. Uh, you had uh, said that you do some suppression of odors. I mean, biologically, I mean, the waste is going to put out some level of some odor. Uh, and how often are you doing this uh, suppression sort of thing? I mean, and you have so many different sorts of applications of what you're doing with the product out there. I mean, from composting to obviously trash and burying it. I mean, I. It almost seems physically impossible to remove odor uh, from all of those operations. And so how, how do you do that? Well, I, I guess I should start out by saying that we, one, that we acknowledge that we have odors from our facility. You're absolutely right. It's just part and parcel with the type of operation that we run. Secondly, we will never fully eliminate odors. It just really can't be done with that nature of operation. Our goal is to minimize and mitigate those. So we have a number of, of tools in our toolbox. I mentioned the misting system. That was a perimeter misting system. Um, we tried that for a while. We looked at our odor monitoring system. It didn't seem to have a significant reduction in the actual odors, and so we said instead of going forward with that, we, we didn't expand it. Right now, we're taking that neutralizer. We plan on applying that to all the residual waste coming out of the material recovery facility that will ultimately be disposed. That's the largest uh, quantity of product that we landfill each day. So our hope is by inoculating a majority of the waste with a neutralizer, that may lower the odor threshold from the, the open operation during the day. With landfill gas emissions, that gas that just, you know, the little bit that can perk through the surface, we're doing an early closure project on a portion of our side slopes of the landfill. We're actually putting down a plastic membrane that will help keep emissions from making it into the air and allow us to pull more aggressively on our gas system. That's something that we're putting in proactively probably 20, 25 years ahead of when we would be regulatorily obligated to do so. 
We're also doing a composting pilot study with food waste. Um, so we're doing some in-vessel composting of food waste, not the open windrows that you may be familiar with at our facility, but an enclosed container that's passing air through that system with a filtering system um, to compost that food waste. Uh, our hope there is not only will we be diverting that product from the landfill, but that it will reduce the odors that are associated with something as odiferous as food waste. So we have a number of projects that are kind of in the works, but you're absolutely right. I mean, we may never get to the point where you say there aren't any smells coming in from our operation. Well, I guess uh, as a follow-up question, uh, this facility, Rio Bravo, is primarily their use, uh, wood material. And how can you suppress, if there's an issue there, how do you suppress that? I mean, I, I don't... I don't understand. I, you know, they could put misters up like you did to try to neutralize the smell as it leaves, but I don't know if that's going to get rid of it. So uh, do you have a suggestion of how they get rid of the, any odor that might show up from wood products? You know, I hate to, you know, sit here and, and try and come up with solutions for that, but I, I can say that from my experience, and I've been down in that area now for 16 and a half years working for the authority, so I have experienced the odors from Rio Bravo. I don't always find them unpleasant, but I've experienced them. And I would agree from, you know, from what Alex said and what from Travis said, it is from the stockpiles. It's not from the, the actual boiler operation. But possibly minimizing the size of those piles is as, um, as reasonable. Uh, I know that they apply water to knock down the dust, but that can sometimes exacerbate the problem. Essentially what you're having is an uncontrolled composting operation of that organic material. And so on the surface, maybe it, there's not much of a smell, but when they cut into it to start moving that product, underneath the surface it started to go anaerobic. It's lack of oxygen and it's composting, and that's what I believe could be generating the odor. I think it probably makes more sense to have um, someone who is well qualified to go out and do a study of what are the odor sources and document them, quantify them, and that may actually help better educate um, decisions for mitigating the potential for odor. Not eliminating, but reducing and mitigating. Okay. okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Anybody else like to comment? Good morning. Tom Lee from Brian Cave on behalf of the applicant. And with your permission, we have a very late comment letter in response to uh, the Waste Authority's letter from yesterday. Mm -hmm. I can hand it to the clerk. Yeah, go ahead and Kathy. So uh, I just wanted to address a few points that we anticipated that the Waste Authority would make. Um, first of all, I, I think it's a great sign to hear them say that they do not expect parity is I think a fundamental issue that we've been running into is that trash and trees have very different odor levels, as we all know, and therefore the odor, um, uh, odor mitigation and odor um, monitoring plan that would make sense for this facility is very different than what would make sense for a trash facility. Um, the first point that I want to address is the fact that uh, the trash authority just referred to this as a composting facility. And under the regulations in California, as Alex pointed out, that's actually not the case. And as you'll read in the letter, the, the facility is specifically exempt from the com composting materials handling requirements, which is what would trigger odor monitoring requirements. 
So there's actually no regulatory basis to impose any odor monitoring on this facility. As you correctly pointed out earlier, there's no direct linkage between the proposed project and the odor issues at the facility. In fact, as you'll read on page six of Alex's report, this project will reduce the odors from the facility. So the, the impact of this project is that the fuel piles will be smaller, that whole waste, whole trees um, and vegetation will be delivered to the facility, and that those can be processed on site as needed to be input into the fuel stream rather than having to have the whole fuel stock be in the fuel piles. So the idea being that if there's any concern about composting happening in the fuel pile, the overall volume of that pile will be smaller because we can grind whole trees as needed with this proposed grinder. So the, the planning department has concluded that this is likely to reduce overall odors. Um, the other important thing to remember is that the fuel pile is cycled on a first-in, first-out basis. So they don't just take from the top of the pile and leave the bottom layers to slowly compost over time. They take the bottom layers out, and that's what's combusted first. Uh, based on our modeling and our estimates, um, they believe that the fuel is not on the site for longer than seven days. If you look at the regulations regarding um, composting facilities, Seven days is an important number for certain regulations. It's at the edge of what can lead to the composting process. So the point being the fuel, even under the current operation, is not really on the location long enough to raise composting concerns and therefore odor concerns. So essentially, Rio Bravo is fine with the proposed conditions. We, we agree that instituting an OIMP um, makes sense, we have no objections to the way that it's currently formulated, but given the fact that there's no regulatory requirement, that there's no linkage to the, between the project and the odor concerns, and in fact this will hopefully reduce any odor concerns, um, and the fact that trash odor monitoring and mitigation and tree odor monitoring and mitigation are you know apples and oranges, we think that the current proposal is sufficient and that uh, we respectfully request that the commission approve it. But I'd be happy to answer any additional questions. I guess, uh, I guess I, what I heard earlier is wood waste and CD, whatever CD is, I don't know, but could you describe the products that uh, are coming in to go through the uh, grinder? I think Travis would be better suited to answer that than me. But. So the majority of our fuel source is urban waste, wood waste. Um, that's either tree trimmings or um, agricultural um, material that's brought to our facility. Um, C and D is construction and demolition uh, from tearing down houses, and, and that material also gets brought to our facility. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Well, on that construction material, I was going to ask, does, uh, does the MRF send some of their stuff over to you to get rid of it? I'm not sure the, con the current um, supplier list. I'm not the fuel buyer for the facility, um, but that is um, something that I can get for you if you need that information. Because obviously they're taking in a lot of construction debris next door to you, so I just I know in the past, some over. 
Yeah, I know in the past we have purchased a lot of material from them. I'm not sure of the current situation, the current relationship with them. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Good morning, uh, members of the commission. Rob Sandman with the county council's office. I come before you today in my capacity as a counsel to the Western Placer Waste Management Authority. I'm not representing the county this morning. Uh, in the authority's letter yesterday, there were a few specific areas of emphasis which really get down to the uh, technical nature of the data collection and the ability for the authority and members of the public to review that. I think as Eric pointed out, we understand the differences and distinctions uh, between these two facilities and we're not, certainly not trying to affect in any way uh, Rio Bravo's ability to conduct its business. What we are trying to obtain through this process, a discretionary permit, is to uh, extract out and tease out data that can be useful in the larger picture. And we've noted in our letter from yesterday that the, at a minimum, uh, the, we ask that the commission require that the uh, OIMP be uh, directed to a person qualified to evaluate the OIMP. Right now the condition is silent upon who that would be submitted to and the qualifications that that person or office would have uh, to review the OIMP. And as we note in our letter, that um, the key is that the OIMP be premised on industry standard protocols of data collection. Uh, similarly, we are asking that the uh, annual report that is uh, identified in Condition 12 likewise uh, include the production of data consistent with what the authority is doing. The authority has gone certainly above and beyond what it's been required to do uh, to voluntarily install the Odatech system. As Eric pointed out, uh, we don't anticipate uh, Rio Bravo uh, installing that type and level of system. But we want to make sure the data is one that we can compare. And uh, in terms of a specific uh, condition, the authority is requesting that condition two be revised, as we've stated in our letter, to specifically limit the number of days per week that the uh, operation can be uh, conducted. And certainly we understand um, if your commission is willing to go there, that's where the authority is requesting. At a minimum, the uh, authority is asking that the sentence reading the annual report identified in condition of approval number 12 shall list all days and hours of operation. We think that's a key information takeaway here so that when the authority and other members of the public are reviewing Rio Bravo's operations, we can have a very clear understanding of when the tub grinder was in operation, when the facility was in operation. The uh, additional flexibility for 24 hours uh, per week right now does not provide uh, the specificity the authority believes is in the public interest to understand um, operations. I'm available for any questions. I guess. I, I was just having a thought when I was trying to look at the two proposals, and uh, it, there's a there's an air uh, quality district in the county. Yeah, no, and no, I was wondering, uh, it, it seems like, uh, as at least I was reading it, that uh, the condition uh, directs, uh, directs this to them. And so I guess I'm wondering, uh, wouldn't they... Uh, be able to, uh, you know, have somebody on board or somebody that would be qualified to review the information? Yeah, I can't speak to the specific uh, technical capacities within the Air Pollution Control District. Um, certainly, I don't believe they're present this morning. Uh, the authority would be satisfied with the condition, revision to condition 12 indicated that the OIMP would be reviewed, submitted to whatever office we would suggest at least to be submitted, identified to whom it would be submitted. That could be the planning director would be fine with the authority as long as it was reviewed by someone uh, qualified to review 
an odor management plan. Uh, right now, it's silent on that point. Well, it's directed to the, the planning department right now, or the plan. Uh, the OIMP is, as the condition is technically written, there's no submittal destination for the actual OIMP. The annual report certainly goes to the planning director. And we, we are requesting clarification on those so, so we can have a clear understanding that the OIMP itself is a public record and certainly the annual report's a public record. See, I guess, I don't know if I heard all that. You said it, it's not directed to the planning director now? Um, right now, condition 12 reads, prior to issuance of the building permit, the project operator um, shall prepare and receive approval of an odor, man, odor impact uh, minimization plan. That condition does not state to whom the OIMP will be submitted or from whom that approval will be obtained. And we want to make sure that uh, we don't particularly care as to what the destination of the initial submittal is. We want to make sure that the review and approval of that OIMP is from uh, a person or office qualified to make that determination. Could we, could we ask staff for some clarification on that, uh, why that was left that way? In actuality, we are sitting over here wondering if perhaps either the Council for the Waste Management Authority or the um, uh, manager of the Waste Management Authority might provide some clarification. I'm concerned about a condition that would state to the person qualified without any further qualifications of the person qualified um, because it could lead to problems with how we enforce that condition. It would be helpful to know if there is a way of fashioning, if the commission wishes to consider revising this condition, to fashion the conditions so that, the, that both the applicant and the county know who that person or entity would be that would review this plan. We simply don't know. Do you? If I could, uh, I know authority staff, myself, uh, the project representatives and project council, I'm certain if we had a short recess we could arrive and mutually agreeable language on that point. Alex wants to come. Yeah. Mr. Chair, if I may add, um, doing some research uh, after looking at the Waste Management Authority's most recent letter, and I, I took a look. Um, uh, Mr. Otto was kind enough to provide me a copy of the Waste Management Authority's uh, odor impact minimization plan some time ago. And um, I did some research to uh, uh, see if there were other qualified persons in the area who would be able to uh, prepare such a document. This one has been prepared by Integrated Waste Management Consulting of uh, Nevada City. And in doing my research, I was directed to Cal Recycles website, that's the state website. And the same person has actually created a template odor impact minimization plan for Cal Recycle. It's posted up to their website along with several other example odor impact minimization plans, and they are offered freely to uh, local land use agencies and others who would use them and, and, and model their odor impact minimization plans from that. In addition, um, I don't see any reason why uh, if staff receives an OIMP and is uh, concerned as to whether it includes all of the necessary technical language and performance specifications that we couldn't work with either the Waste Management Authority or the local enforcement agency uh, who, who actually inspects composting facilities and enforces regulations. I do have access to, to both of those staff persons, or staff in those divisions, and, and certainly um, we would reach out to them when we're looking does, at these Does it make any documents. sense, Alex, their, uh, Richard's suggestion of the air quality control being involved in that, and you're, Karen, you're saying no? Okay. No, I, I would recommend they not be, uh, they don't regulate odor, although we all perceive of that as an air quality right. uh, component, it is not within their authority, so no, I wouldn't recommend that. Okay. 
Okay, any other questions? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, I'm, I'm just wondering if I should just bring the applicant back up because we're talking about. Is there anybody else doing in the public that wants to say something? Yeah, maybe we'll get to that first. Is there anybody else in the public that wants to address this issue? Seeing none, I'll allow the applicant to come up and sort of respond to the last little bit on, on the OIMP. Um, I would just like to say that I met with the representative from Ototech yesterday came out to our facility and he's willing to help us put together this OIMP um, as well as recommend, uh, he recommended um, a product that they have currently called OtoView, which I'm sure is probably being used at the uh, MRF, um, which is just a product of logging complaints and current conditions at the facility. And um, he's currently getting me a quote for that product. Um, so do you have any suggestions of who you would want to submit this report to? Because since uh, they're saying that it's vague, yeah. Uh, since they're saying that's kind of vague, uh, do you do you have a? It's just planning. It says planning. Yeah, I think it would just be submitted to the planning department. Okay. For review. Right. Could, could I make a, a couple of suggestions? And I'm not sure I know where the Planning mission, Commission is going on this particular issue as to whether you wish to consider modifications of condition number 12 and condition number 2. If you do, a um, couple of possibilities. One would be uh, to, to take a short recess and allow the parties and staff to discuss this and see if something could be worked out of mutual agreement. The other is to consider continuing this matter. Um, this has been on hold for a year. I think I probably speak for everybody in the room that it would be nice if we could perhaps move this along today, uh, but it's really at the commission's preference as to what you would like to do at this point. And again, I don't even know if the commission is considering um, as a majority whether you're considering revision. So that might factor into whether you want to take the Well, I'm, I'm thinking if, if we just take five minutes or if you need a little longer for you to talk to the applicant and come to a decision. Because otherwise, if it comes back to us, I mean, we're, we're, we'll just be here sort of off the cuff, you know, trying to come up with something that they don't agree to or whatever. Before we take a little break, can I clarify one thing, please? Um, the, the hours of operation uh, for the grinding, the two days a week, just so I understand the issue here, as a facility, you're looking to pick those days to be the most efficient based on available fuel and, and what have you and, and your needs as opposed to designating them a year in advance and saying we're going to grind on these days. And I'm, I'm hearing that, that the Waste Council would like you to identify those days up front. Is that not correct? Uh, on behalf of the authority, the authority uh, does not particularly care which days of the week, Monday through Friday, are used within that five-day window. 
We just want to know which days are being used. Their report needs to identify past, those. Past tense as, a part, as opposed to identifying them in the future. Right. And as we've identified in our May 2014 letter and our letter yesterday, we are concerned about the way the condition is drafted now to allow grinding operations to be able to occur on a, quote, more frequent basis but not to exceed 24 hours a week. We believe that opens up the grinding operations to a five-day-a-week operation. I well, if it's, yeah, if it's only two days out of the week, I mean, I can understand their position because it's completely different from the, what you do because you just take stuff in and process it, but they have to bring it in at certain times and everything. And I don't know if, I guess it'd be up to them to, to say that we can guarantee that we're going to grind on on these certain days or whatever. Certainly to clarify that the authority is not here to, again, to dictate their operations. We want to know when they were operating for the purposes of this larger public informational issue that we are dealing with on a daily basis. Uh, we would want to make sure that both the annual report and the hours of operation are tied together so there's a connection between the two such that their annual report needs to identify the days and hours of operation. Uh, right now we think that there is flexibility in that condition to, again, allow a five-day-a-week operation um, but not we need to know when they're running. But yeah. not to exceed 24 hours a week. Yeah. But again, there's no definition of what a, quote, grinding operation is. And we've used a, a, an old baseball analogy here. You know, a baseball game can go three hours long. The actual time of play is, you know, 28 minutes or whatever. Is that only when the tub grinder is operating or is it when trucks are coming in? There is no definition in the uh, conditions of approval as they're written now. I, think when you, no, I, think, I would think when you've got the circuit running right. and the motor's running. Right, and we just need to know. It's, it's the authority's position that we need to know when this operation is running so we can match that data when we review it for odor complaints that have come in and have a broader picture. But it's more about them keeping a record of their operation yeah. as opposed to identifying it ahead of time. Right, indeed it is. And, and we believe that if it's limited clearly to two days a week, it's very clear, you know, when it's operating, that's something to be observed. You know, I guess, I guess what, what uh, seems like what they're talking about is, uh, you know, a truck comes in with wood waste, they grind it and they put it in the boiler. But if in advance they have to identify which weeks they're going to, what days they're going to use it, then uh, you know that stuff is going to have to sit around in the yard until uh, the day that I guess they committed to doing. So it may be a while. And, and I guess you know piggybacking on that, really, if somebody complained today, you just call call over and say, and they can look at their logs and say, yeah. Today we're grinding, or no, we're not grinding. Yeah, we think an important distinction here, of course, is that Rio Bravo is a private company, and the authority is a public entity. We're subject to different record review and record access issues, and we're trying to use the ability to have a clear picture in their annual report of when they were operating. And right now, we think that there's a, a great deal of flexibility. Um, okay, okay, maybe just just to I think a record keeping yeah. act. I don't think I, I wouldn't have any problem with them keeping a record and if I they ground they the ground. Two, to two hours a day for all week, but as long as it's in the annual report, as you said, on the weekly report or whatever, I, I, I think the record can be kept. But as far as specifying the days, that's another issue. It's not our request that Rio Bravo notify the authority, um, you know, to dictate their week-to-week -week operations. We do believe that your, the staff report has indicated to your commission that this is a two-day week operation. We believe the way the condition is written, this is a five-day week operation. Okay, you know, maybe just to speed this up, let's let's get them together, and you guys can sort of talk, and we'll we'll take a break. Could you just declare yeah, on, on the record that we're taking a five-minute recess? Yeah, we're going to take a five-minute recess. Thank you. <coughs>
Okay, it looks like we're back. Do we? Yeah, I'll, I'll officially go ahead and open up the, reopen the meeting, and I see everybody's back from their consultation, so I'll turn it over to staff to see where we're at. arrived at a uh, consensus on modifications to conditions and those modifications would apply to conditions 2 and 12 would you like me to go through and specifically list the additional sure. language under condition 2 the body of the condition would remain as written and after the last sentence ending 24 hours per week the following sentence would be added the annual report identified in condition of approval 12 shall list all days and hours of operation. Okay. Then, pardon? Uh, is that past tense or? Yeah. Yeah. Is that past tense? Let me go back here. Sounded like. It is an annual report, and so this would be at the end of each operating year. Yes, it okay. is past tense, if that's uh, if I understand your intent correctly. Okay, thank you. Under condition of approval 12, at the end of the first sentence where it reads, odor impact minimization plan, that sentence would be continued, would have a comma, and then would say, which shall be reviewed and approved by the planning director. Then further down, after the end of the second sentence that ends and complaint response protocol, that sentence would again be continued and it would read, consistent with the ODO view, and that's capitalized, that's a specific program, or comparable odor monitoring program. So one more time, the end of that sentence would read, and complaint response protocol consistent with the ODO view or comparable odor monitoring program. And I believe that I have captured the totality of the agreed upon changes and I see some nodding. Oh, in fact, parties. I'll just ask the applicant if want to come up and say that's what you agreed to okay and the auto view is that the auto I mean auto view is that the other program that that is a a specific industry program yes okay. thank you. the authority appreciates the commissions and the applicants consideration of changes we have no further comments okay. at this time thank you Okay, with, with that, I'll close it off to the public and bring it back to the commission for discussion or motion. Uh, I'm glad to make a motion. Okay. Uh, first, uh, I'd like to make a motion that we determine a project to exempt from CEQA, existing uh, facilities in class three, new construction or conversion of small structures. Um, uh, second, adopt findings determining the project is consistent with the goals and policies of the Placer County General Plan and Sunset Industrial Area and the 
approve the conditional use permit with the modifications to uh, two and twelve. Also, CEQA. And uh, what about CEQA? Did I not address? It's ex exempt from CEQA review. Yeah. Didn't I? Wasn't that what I first mm -hmm. said? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Exempt at the time. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, so again, approving the conditional use permit uh, with the modified changes to uh, two and twelve, and subject to the conditions of those conditions. Uh, second. Second. Have a motion to second. Roll call. Mr. Sevison's absent. Mr. Gray's absent. Mr. Moss? Yes. Mr. Johnson? Yes. Mr. Nader? Yes. Mr. Ricucci? Yes. Mr. Denial? Yes. Okay, motion carries. If anyone should appeal, the time to file is 10 calendar days, and the appeal fee is $546. And with that, thank you. And that's our meeting. So. I guess our next one's going to be up in Tahoe. Yeah. yeah.